to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I am so happy to have you. Um, If we haven't met yet, my name is Rachel Laurie Harris, and I am a certified professional dog trainer, and I am dog mom to uh, Tiva the Mutt and Waylon the Amstaff. So, Guys, in today's episode, um, Olivia joins me. She is a certified professional dog trainer, and she owns and runs a Click Start Academy, which is based in California, and we talk all things dogs and cats. So if you want to integrate a dog into an already existing cat household, or if you want to integrate a cat into an already existing dog household, this episode is for you. So guys, do me a favor. If you like this episode, please take a screenshot and tag us both over on the gram and let us know what you like. And if you have friends who have dogs and cats and they could find benefit from this episode, please share this episode with them. So enjoy. Hey guys, so I do not take promoting a product lightly. I really don't. I'm not going to tell you about a product I don't really believe in. And I'm not going to tell you about a product that doesn't have a fabulous team behind the product. But I was out of CBD for probably like two weeks. And then the lovely ladies at VetCS got me another bottle And I didn't really think about it, but after I started giving the dogs CBD again, Waylon's energy level greatly increased. I think that the CBD helps him feel so much better. So guys, this is not a gimmick. There is no bullshit. I believe in this product. And if you think that your dog could benefit from CBD, I highly suggest check out VetCS. You can learn more about CBD for dogs, cats, and horses at VetCS. CS.com and you can use code disorderly dogs for 10% off your first purchase. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of disorderly dogs, the podcast. I am really excited because I have heard from a lot of you about cat dog interactions, introductions, and, um, Olivia is with me today and she is going to share all of her cat wisdom, cat and <laughs> wisdom, I should say. Um, so that you guys know how to safely introduce cats and dogs and how to manage a household full of cats and dogs. So, um, Olivia, can you tell us just a little bit about like what your setup is as far as like cats and dogs, just so listeners can get a better, better understanding of what you're bringing to the table here? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited because I love dog behavior. I love cat behavior. I love interspecies, complex, nerdy stuff. So we can really get into all of that. Um, so in my household right now, I have two cats, both of whom are foster fails because I'm a human being and that happens. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I'm a certified professional dog trainer. So most of my experience in animal behavior comes from, from dog training. And I really started training cats when I was fostering these feral kittens who just didn't want humans anywhere near them. And I thought, you know what? Clicker training works great with dogs. Let's go ahead and see if that works with cats. And obviously it does. And then from there, I started just kind of exploring cat behavior and you know implementing all the stuff that I use with dogs with cats as well it's a kind of blossom from there so awesome okay and then do you have dogs in your household too right now no okay um and we'll get into that a little bit later with you know how to decide whether or not it's appropriate to bring another animal into the home but my boy Jude 
would not tolerate a dog in this environment right now. The household's just a little bit too small. So we'll have to think about management for that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. So I think that, um, I think that that's a really good point to bring up. And I know that the listeners have heard me talk about this when considerations for getting another dog, but I think that there are just some intricacies when it comes to bringing a cat into a household. If you have existing cats, if you have existing dogs. So I think let's dive into that. So um, maybe can you share your experience and why you've decided not to add a dog to your household? Yeah. So we want to make sure that when we're bringing a new cat or dog into a house that we have an appropriate setup for managing both species safely. Um, so in my current situation, we live in a little studio. It's all open floor plan. There isn't a whole lot of room to put up gates or put up doors or do physical management or barriers. Um, and we also just don't have enough, you know, square footage to accommodate cats and dogs. Um, my cat Jude is just a really sensitive guy. Um, he's from a feral colony that's in our literally in our backyard and we're pretty sure his parents are pretty closely related so he's got some genetic weirdness going on and he's really sensitive to environmental change so given that he is so sensitive we are deciding to hold off on bringing a dog into the house until we have more space we have more catification going on and we can make sure that everyone can you know live in harmony yeah, and I think that that's such a brilliant consideration, and, and it really speaks to how well you know Jude, right? And I think that that's something that I want my listeners to really fall back on and be honest with yourself when you're asking these questions, you know? Like, especially, I think, in the you have a cat and you're considering bringing in a dog dynamic, because I, I work with so many clients that they mean well, right? They had a cat, they're like, they want a dog, they bring a dog, and all of a sudden the cat never leaves one single room. And, you know, I think that cats kind of get the short end of the stick because they can't go as many places. You know, they're not, quote unquote, man's best friend in the same way. So I think it's really important that if you have a cat, you have an existing cat, you've got to make sure that you're considering their life going forward. Because if a dog is constantly chasing them, to me, that's not a very high quality of life. Right. And that's definitely a pattern that I see all the time. Cats are kind of seen as the easy pet, the starter pet. You have a a goldfish, then a cat, then a dog, and that's the natural order of things. And that's super not fair to cats because, you know, they're very social, very sensitive, very trainable in a lot of ways. And there's a lot we can do to make their lives really enriched and, you know, valuable. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so, so I like what you said about your floor plan and being honest about the fact that there's not a lot of like management options for like integrating the needs of different species. So, um, can you give us just like a ballpark of like what you would be looking for, like a house with different levels, different doors, maybe escape routes for cats that people wouldn't like necessarily look for? Yeah, so I think the ability to shut a door between two animals when you're first introducing them is so, so valuable. Um, cats are unique in that if you put a baby gate up, that's really not going to stop too many cats unless they're pretty geriatric or maybe they're you know, the, the mini cats, but <laughs> they have the just acrobatic abilities to scale most of the management that would work pretty well for a dog-dog household. So we have to have those floor-to-ceiling doors. Um, when we foster kittens, we have to keep our fosters in the only room that has a door that closes away from the rest of the house, which is the bathroom. And that works for little neonatal kittens that don't need a lot of space but if you're talking about an adult cat or an adult dog it wouldn't be appropriate so you definitely want multiple rooms 
And there's a whole lot you can install into the house if you're a little bit creative in terms of giving cats those ways to avoid the dog if they need to or get from point A to point B without being harassed or without harassing the dog because it can go both ways. I've seen it go both <laughs> <Yeah>. ways. <laughs> um, so I think the traditional way of doing that are, you know, cat trees that you'd buy in the pet store. I'm going to be honest, I really don't like cat trees. I think they're most often these giant beige carpeted monstrosities and they're a complete eyesore and folks are tempted to put them in the corner of the room they look at the least, which is not a very thoughtful way to integrate cat spaces into your home if it's the back room where no one has to look at the big ugly cat tree. But you can get pretty clever and in our home we have all homemade things. So you can install shelving, you can have floor to ceiling climbing poles, you can uh, get boxes and put them on the walls. You can even arrange existing furniture like shelving units in a way that your cat has kind of a highway along the wall so they get to explore that vertical space and climb and do all those normal cat things. Oh my gosh, I love those creative solutions. That's amazing. So, okay, so let's let's give an example here. So there's a household, they have a cat, they want to get a dog. And what would you look at? You Would you want to make sure that the cat has, I like how you describe it, a cat highway. So the cat has like a way that they can get away from the floor, away from people if they wanted to. But would you like to see that the cat has that already established before you integrate a dog? Yeah. So if you're, if we're looking at a household that already has dogs, let's say and you want to bring a cat into the situation, I would want a separate room where that cat could exist without ever having to see the dog at first just to get their bearings, to get to know you a little bit, to bond with you, to get to know the space. And then we could talk about introductions in a little bit, but having a way to give them their own space and then gradually allow them more access to the house as they seem to settle in and feel more comfortable. Okay. Yeah. So I think guys close doors. So you need to really look at, do you have a spare room that maybe you could be using? Cause like you're saying like the bathroom, sure, but that bathroom is getting a lot more use. And I think the opening and closing of the door probably poses just a few more challenges than if you had like a, a separate room that you could let the cat, um, integrate in initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, can, I want to touch just a little bit on dogs with prey drives and kind of your thoughts on that being a, a, a complete no or a maybe as far as like a dog that definitely has a cat, a, a prey drive that chases small game, you know, bunnies, rabbits, other cats in the neighborhood. Like, what are your considerations? Like in a perfect world, what would you tell the dog owner that has a dog with a prey drive that really wants to bring a cat in? So I definitely want people to be honest with themselves about what breed of dog they have, their dog's individual history, and of course there's going to be some exceptions to the rule, but in general if you have hunting breeds um, like sight hounds or different working dogs that are pretty likely predisposed to want to chase and hunt and catch small critters, maybe a cat isn't realistic depending on how much really strict management you're willing to put into the house. Yeah. And I, I do have one case um, that I, I did within the last year. It was a lovely couple and they had a couple of elderly cats and they brought in a new rescue dog they didn't know a whole lot about. And after they got him, they realized, ooh, this boy's got some pretty intense prey drive and was exhibiting some really alarming behaviors around the cats. What we decided on was just a permanent strict management plan for those animals. They're never allowed to be in the same room. There's always two doors between them and that's how they've gone managing those guys. 
Okay. So can you describe some of those behaviors? Yeah. So this dog, his name is Rascal. He's just a delightful, goofy bully mix. He's so, so sweet. Uh, But when he got around the cats, his loose body language would vanish. He'd go really stiff. His eyes would get really hard. It was a lot of staring, a lot of um, hackles up pile of erection, um, moving slowly in this creeping fashion towards the cats. And Actually, on two occasions, he charged and broke through the screen door trying to get to the cats. So he never made contact, but based on those kind of predatory behaviors that we saw, I didn't have a good feeling about that ever going safely. Yeah, no, and I think that those are really good observable behaviors that I want um, I want you guys listening to be watching for because there's definitely a lot of room for error, right? And like the cat dog dynamic, especially if you have a dog who is, you know, bigger than medium size, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and and I, I want to touch just on what you mentioned earlier, the flip side of that, right? Like a cat who maybe is displaying some aggressive behaviors towards dogs. So can you give us an example of maybe like some cat body language that you would be a little concerned about towards a dog? Oh, totally. So I think some folks might think it sounds ridiculous, but if you have a 20-pound Maine Coon and a 4-pound Yorkshire Terrier, it's the tables have turned, and that cat could do some serious damage. Um, so things you would look for in the cat, and I think cat body language is something that you really want to be aware of if you're a cat owner in general, and a lot of folks really don't know a whole lot about what their cats are saying with their bodies, even though they're communicating all the time. Um, we want to look for any stiffness. It's going to look like the cat's with moving with straight legs all the time they will arch their neck their head is pointing down towards their chest ears get pinned um you see the full-on halloween cat stuff sometimes where their back is arched their hackles are raised their tails all poofy um any slow sideways creeping movement towards the dog would make me a little bit worried okay and i don't know if any of you have experienced a cat bite they're really serious and pretty awful um i'm pretty lucky in that my you know, seven, eight years as a professional dog trainer, I have yet to be bitten by a dog in the field. But in my track to return feral cat stuff, I've gotten nailed by some angry mama cats before. And it's not pretty. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so can um, so in, in your opinion, what are some maybe like slightly aggressive behaviors from a cat that maybe could be appropriate in the context of like a cat and like a larger dog, right? Because I know a lot of people are like, well, you know, the cat just needs to put the dog in his place. And, you know, sure. I think maybe there's a little bit of truth to that, but I think that that's a little gray. So can you maybe kind of clarify for us, like what you would think would be like appropriate as far as like a cat, like batting at a dog along those lines? Right. I think the the frequency of it plays a lot into it. If a dog rushes in towards a cat's face and we see some hissing and we see a paw swipe out towards the dog and that's the only occurrence of that, I would call that a pretty appropriate interaction. That's the dog coming in too hot, the cat saying, whoa, buddy, you need to slow it down. You're really invading my space. And hopefully the dog listens to that. Uh, They may or may not understand what hissing is because they speak different languages or different species and dogs don't necessarily know that a hissing cat wants space okay but if we're seeing you know every every couple of minutes there's hissing and swatting and ears pinned and fur flying then we're in a a much more dangerous area okay yeah no and I think that that's really good clarification you know and I like what I like the touching point of frequency 
right? So like maybe a SWAT every now and then is appropriate. But if it keeps happening in a, a relatively short time frame, I think that that speaks to the discomfort and the, st- the stress of the cat. And maybe the lack of listening from the dog's behalf, you know? And, and I think what you brought up about them being different species, I think it's a, a, important that we remember that, you know, your dog may be a total nitwit to the cat at first or vice versa and that's okay right but as long as they start to slowly form a dialogue and we're going to dive a little bit more into this but making sure that we have management in place so that they can kind of cultivate their relationship and their communication without it having to go to full-on like aggressive behavior towards each other right and I think we can look at it a little bit like dog dog households every now and again they're going to have an argument. You might hear a little bit of grumbling or growling or, hey, you stopped on my foot. I don't like that. But for the most part, it should be neutral or positive interactions. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and then as far, so let's talk about um, some other options for like setups. So, um, so if you have an existing cat and you're going to bring a dog in, would you Mm -hmm. have the cat behind a closed door initially? Yeah, so that's going to depend, again, on what your setup is. If your cat is used to having complete realm of the household and then all of a sudden they're sequestered to the bathroom when a new dog comes in, that might not set the the, the stage very well for your cat. Yeah. Um, having catification in place, and by catification I mean those alterations you make to your home so that they can access vertical space, climbing walls, cat trees, shelving units, whatever you happen to have, We want to have that established and we want your cat comfortable using those well before the dog comes into play so that it's not, holy crap, there's a new animal in the house and all this weird stuff is on the wall and I really don't know how to feel about that. So we want to make sure that the cat knows how to use their space. Um, Ideally, I would love to see equal space between the existing cat and the new dog if possible. So if you have an upstairs and a downstairs and your cat already loves the upstairs, perfect. You can have Kitty stay upstairs while the new dog is downstairs and then you can work on those slow systematic introductions to make sure everything goes smoothly. Super. Okay. And then let's talk about the flip side of that. So if you have an existing dog and you're bringing a cat in, what do you think would be like best case scenario as far as like that initial integration? Right. I feel like these tend to be a little bit easier just because cats are generally smaller. They require a little bit less space depending on, you know, what kind of dog you have. So yeah. um, having, like you mentioned earlier, a spare bedroom or even your master bedroom, if your dog isn't already sleeping there with you, that the cat can live in for a little bit to get their bearings until you introduce them to the rest of the house. Okay. Yeah. So I think that those are really good touching points, guys, that just easy ways to, to start the integration. Okay. So, um, when you're dealing with, okay, like we're, we're slowly integrating the cat or um, the dog into the household and now they've been here for a couple of days and everyone seems relatively relaxed, what are you doing as far as like management for like the next step of introduction? So like, are you going to have the dog on a leash? Um, I, I know that some cats are, are harnessed and leash trained. Like what are some options for people in that way? Yeah, so I tend to be a little bit feline specific when doing those introductions. Um, a lot of the ways we introduce new animals, we have this lens of dog-dog where we're taking them on walks together out and we're going to the park together. And unless you have the benefit of a previously harness trained cat, that's probably not an option. So I like to think about it like we first introduce by scent, then by sound, then by sight. 
Nice. So um, scent is pretty simple and we can start off in, you know, even when the animals are completely separated. So I like to start by swapping scent articles. So having the cat's bed go into the dog area, the dog's bed go into the cat area. And even in those areas, you might notice some interesting reactions from different animals. I know whenever I bring foster kittens into our house, my sensitive boy Jude, if he smells the blanket the kittens have been on, all of his fur goes up and he's huffy and puffy and hissy and so upset about it. Um, but we work through that systematically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, it, I know it can look alarming, but it's fairly normal as far as cat behavior goes. Okay. Go <laughs> um, you can also do kind of a not necessarily a crate and rotate, but rotate their area. So if you had cat in the bedroom and dog in the main area, you would find ways to swap them out, have the dog explore the cat area while the cat's not in there, have the cat explore the dog area where the dog's not in there, and that way they can kind of get to know each other by smell first. The next step would be, I like to do sound. So mealtime and playtime, since they tend to be so valuable to cats and dogs both, I like to use those as the kind of icebreakers for bringing them together. Um, because cat might be neutral about dog, but cat's hopefully very excited about food and same with the dog. So feeding them meal simultaneously on either side of a closed door that maybe has a little bit of a gap underneath it so they can hear each other, they can hear the, the nails on the hardwood floor or the sound of the collar hitting the food bowl or the breathing or any of that. And then the last step would be sight. So instead of that fully closed door, maybe we have a tall baby gate with a sheet over it and step by step every meal we just increase that that visual a little bit more so they're going oh is that a dog over there oh that's okay i'm eating my meal this is fine and we can slowly introduce them that way oh my god i love that and i feel like following those three steps it is so easy to digest right so scent first sound mm -hmm. second and then sight third right. yeah and I, and I love using um mealtime right? As the integration, right? And that's really easy, especially with a closed door, right? Like, okay, you both can just eat on either side of the door. So I think that that's a relatively easy thing for people to implement too. Mm -hmm. And I know some folks mentioned that their cats are a little bit finicky about food. Maybe you're on a free feeding schedule. I might encourage people to, to rethink that if that is their norm, unless a veterinarian has told them otherwise. Um, but you can also up the ante a little bit. And if your cat's normally getting dry food, then break out the wet food, break out the tuna, break out the really exciting stuff. It's going to get them really, really excited. Nice. Yes. And I like the association building that that starts to uh, develop, right? Mm -hmm. Is that like, okay, I'm eating tuna. Hmm, I hear a dog. Maybe that's not so bad and vice versa. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. So, um, so let's talk about some, some training skills that you think, um, let's talk, let's start with dogs first and then let's go into cats. So, um, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit, you guys, but I think that um, you'll be surprised to hear what we want you to do as far as training your cat goes, right? <laughs> like both both animals could really use the skills and I think that they can both just benefit in their overall quality of life by doing some of these trained skills too. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I have so many big feelings about that. that yes. <laughs> okay. okay, so let's talk about uh, trained skills that you would love to see a dog have. Um, before integrating a cat into the household. All right. So I know you guys, if you've been listening, have heard Rachel talk about stationing on a bed a hundred times, and you're going to hear it a hundred more times because it's the most valuable thing on the planet. 
but absolutely teaching a, a rock solid station on a bed and a relax on cue for dogs. So not just lay on your bed on pins and needles waiting to rock it off the bed to get your treat, but learning how to roll on your hip, take a deep breath, put your head down, actually feel relaxed on that station so that we can ask for that if we need to. My cats are all over everything right now. Fantastic. It's <laughs> about part of the course. <laughs> um, I also love teaching targeting. So a hand target or even a, a target stick for both animals so that if we have to move them safely in space from a distance, we can. So that can look like a recall for a dog. It can look like a hand touch, but having a way to get them away from the cat or away from where they're at and towards you is going to be helpful. Um, and then definitely some kind of leave it, some kind of cue that means stop what you're doing, come look at your parent and get some reinforcement so that if we see a dog is eyeballing the cat in a way that I don't really love so much, we can ask for that leave it and get their attention away from the kitty. Nice. Yeah. And stationing on a bed. I mean, it's just, I don't think we can drill it enough, right? Like it's, it's <laughs> so useful. And I think too, like thinking like, you know, into the, um, into the future, as far as like, you have a dog, you integrate a cat and it's going relatively well, but maybe there's some more chasing and stuff like that. That's when you can fall back on that relax on a station behavior. Right. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. um, I have a video of, of how to teach that on my YouTube channel, on my Instagram TV. I know that you preach that you have that on your Instagram. So guys, if you don't know how to teach your dog to station on a behavior, just, you can DM either of us over on Instagram. We're happy to give you some advice because like we're, we're saying, it's an insanely versatile behavior, especially in the context of you integrating um, a new cat into the house. Yeah, totally agree. So we can move on to training skills for cats. Let's um, do it. Yeah. Surprise, stationing is also number one on that list. Animals <laughs> should learn how to station. Um, so I think whenever folks are doing these cat-dog introductions, the thought of training the cat seems completely ludicrous because we as a culture don't really believe that cats do anything except what the cat wants to do. And that's just not true. Every animal does behavior to get what they want out of the environment. And we can use that to our advantage and implement training strategies to get them to do things that we would like them to do. So um, I know if you guys aren't following Julie at Cat School, uh, definitely do that because she has a fantastic tutorial on her page on how to teach what she calls a parking spot, which is essentially a station for cats. Um, a really easy way to kickstart station training for cats, especially if your cat doesn't have experience with training, it might take a little bit of time just to learn how to learn and to learn how to get reinforcement from a person if that's not part of the repertoire already, is just start feeding their meals on whatever you want their station to be. So that can look like a towel or a mat or a perch, but teaching them that this portable object pays off really big and then doing shaping from there. Um, but stationing for cats can be really helpful because since cats have the benefit of, like we talked about earlier, those acrobatic skills to get up high. We can ask them to station up high while the dog is down low, and that way we can manage their interactions with just the, the space between them. Yeah, and I think that that can help too if you have like an overzealous dog, right? Like, okay, so sweet kitty cat, I need you to be up out of the way, right? And having that already trained, I think can make managing and training the dog just so much easier, right? Instead of feeling like like the cat is undoing the training that you're trying to do with the dog or vice versa, right? Having those already established trained behaviors can just make life so much easier. Exactly. Um, I also love having 
every animal on their respective station so we can do training side by side. Um, if we're doing training with the beauty of positive reinforcement, we have lots of big happy feelings from our animals about training and training time. And if they start to learn, wow, whenever we're doing this cool training game, that other animal's present, maybe that other animal isn't so bad because they're happening when this other fun stuff is happening. So having everyone on their stations, we're doing high fives, we're getting cookies, we're doing all of our fun tricks. What other trained behaviors do you like to see cats have? So targeting is another big one. Um, I love the periscoping target sticks because they're a really great way to introduce cats to training. It's a pretty simple thing to start to learn. I put my nose on this little ball and I hear a clicking sound and then chicken appears and that's pretty awesome. So it's a good way to establish that learning history for cats. And then again, we can use that to move them in space. We can ask them to target up high on the cat tree or on the perch to get them away from the dog. And that works if dog is chasing cat or if you're 28-pound Maine Coon is harassing your four-pound York, you can go, hey, buddy, can you leave her alone? Please get up in this cat tree. We'll do something different. Yeah. Okay. So so for my listeners, if you don't know what we're talking about, target stick, think like how they train like dolphins and whales, right? It's like a big buoy on a stick, right? Like I'm thinking like envisioning SeaWorld. I have that image in my mind, but that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a target stick, right? So a long stick with an object on the end that the animal learns to, um, to touch with their, some part of their body, depending on what you want to teach. Right. And it doesn't have to be fancy. You can get a wooden dowel and glue a ping pong ball to the end of that. And that would work just fine. But I like having something that's longer than my arm because if I am asking a cat to go higher than where my human arm can reach, I can put the target stick up there and they can go ahead and follow that. So it just makes my life easier because I'm only so tall and I can ask my cats to do different stuff. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Okay, so um, so stationing, targeting, what else do you think that a cat should know before integrating a dog or integrating a cat? So depending on the age and experience of your cat. I love, love harness and leash training them. Um, one, because if you do have a larger cat who might be bullying your dog, even though that's maybe less of a common scenario, you, you can use that leash and harness as management, either to prevent the cat from accessing the dog or to take cat outside safely and let them get some enrichment that way. Um, and even if it is the, the dog is chasing the kitty cat, having one-on-one -on -one time with your cat outside in the backyard on a harness and leash can be a really great way to make sure that they're not missing out on your attention. Um, it's kind of that, that old saying, the squeaky wheel gets the oil and we don't wanna make sure that it's not the animal who's causing the problem in this situation that's getting all the attention. So making sure that you have those outlets for your cat is gonna be really helpful. Yeah, and I love the possibilities that that opened up, like you touched on, right? That, you know, um, you could go do more and have more one-on-one -on -one time with your cat um, if they are comfortable with a harness and a leash. So uh, are there any other behaviors you think that um, people can spend time teaching their cat before integrating a new animal into the household? I don't know if it's really a training skill, but definitely make sure you have a good repertoire of play skills with your cat. Um, I know a lot, a lot, a lot of behavior problems with cats stem from them being understimulated, which is why Jude is showing off right now because we haven't had our playtime yet today. So he's doing all kinds of things to get my attention. And it's very effective usually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but making sure that we are scheduling playtime with wand toys with our cats to get that energy out and to keep that bond going is really helpful. Um, I think just by necessity, we're really good about establishing those with our dogs because uh, 
a bored and disruptive dog is usually more noticeable than a bored disruptive cat for the most part. And making sure that both animals have a, a nice way to interact with you appropriately with toys and with play and with all of that, I think it's going to be really, really helpful. Yes, I love that. I love that. And and I think that you're right, right? That, you know, oftentimes the dog gets our attention for one reason or another, usually because they're causing more problems. And then the cat kind of goes unplayed with and that, that can have a, a whole host of issues. And even if you're not having like outright right issues, I think, you know, it still matters that we're enriching our cat's lives in the best way we can in the same way we're meeting our dog's needs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So Olivia, let's talk about um, if it doesn't go well. Let's talk about if the interactions, <laughs> the interactions don't go well. So I know you kind of touched on this on the beginning that sometimes ultimately the long-term plan is going to be formal management where the dog and cat just aren't loose together. Right. So um, can you talk about some other situations and maybe some other suggestions for people if the interactions and the introductions with the cats and dogs do not go very well? Yeah, so I know the answer, it depends, is never very satisfying, but that's really what the answer here is. It depends on what behaviors we're seeing and how worried we are about that leading to something aggressive or dangerous. Um, Because I've seen plenty of situations where it's just a a lovely but but kind of bonehead dog bouncing around and play bowing and barking and desperately trying to get the cat to play while the cat is just horrified and doesn't know what's going on. I'd be less worried about those maybe rude but but still playful attempts than a dog who is stiff and staring and chasing and has these more predatory instincts towards the cat so if we have the dog who's being silly and just doesn't understand the cat is telling him buddy get out of my face then there's definitely a lot of training that can go into that on the dog side we could teach them to leave kitty alone we hear hissing we can teach them to go station out of bed we can do side-by-side training. I know I'm a big fan of doing an exercise with over-exuberant dogs where we have the dog stationing on the bed while the cat is going from target to target around the bed so that the cat is gaining confidence, you know, around moving around the dog. They can move from point A to point B without getting chased. And the dog is learning that, oh, it's really reinforcing to hang out on my bed and not to follow the cat from point A to point B. So everyone's getting reinforced. Um, yeah, I think that's a really great setup. Okay, so dog stationing on the bed and then having the cat target. And then could you use that like on the flip side if we had the flip side of like cat bothering the cat? I mean, I'm sorry, cat bothering the dog. So then maybe mm-hmm. you'd have the cat on the station and then you'd have the dog targeting. Yeah, absolutely. Having those nice controlled patterns of interaction so that everyone is training, they all have their own jobs to do and everyone's staying safe and happy. Nice. Okay. So, um, so what would be some red flags where you would maybe consider rehoming? Right. And I think rehoming has a really bad reputation, but in some cases it just is the safest and kindest option for all the animals involved. I know it doesn't feel very good to think about it. I start to get concerned when I do see those predatory behaviors and the household either isn't equipped for formal management or the owners just aren't, you know, willing or able to adhere to that. Um, The case I mentioned earlier with Rascal, they have to keep it really, really careful or there could be serious damage to the animals involved and they're willing to accept that responsibility and not everybody is able or willing to do that. In their case, the the cats were, you know, 13, 14, they were on their senior side and it's a little easier to keep them indoors. But if it was 
a really young energetic cat, then that might not have gone the same way and rehoming might have been the more appropriate option. Yeah, and I agree. I think that there's definitely a stigma around rehoming, but I think that ultimately everyone's quality of life is, you have to take that into consideration. And, you know, um, living in a household with animals that cannot safely be loose together, that becomes really emotionally and physically taxing on everyone, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that it's okay, right? Like it's okay to recognize that you can't care for, not that you can't care, but you can't give the greatest quality of life to both of the creatures in the household. So I think that, you know, obviously it's much easier to be proactive and being honest with yourself, asking these questions before you bring an animal into the household. Right. And there's plenty of options, right? Like it's totally possible, right? We can train, we can rotate. Um, You know, listeners of this podcast have heard me preach on muzzle training, which I think could be really an awesome management Mm -hmm. tool in that context. But yeah, you know, I, I think that if, there are imminent risks to either the cat or dog's life, then that's definitely a a consideration for rehoming, you know, because the last thing you want is to come home to a dead animal. Yeah. There's nothing that makes that okay. (laughs) Yeah. Right. No, it's awful. And it's much easier just to, I guess it's not easier, but I think that it's safer and ultimately you don't have to have that weight on you, right. Of Mm -hmm. the dog or cat did harm to, to each other. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit on, um, for like established households, dogs and cats, um, maybe dogs who show a little bit of interest in the cat. Maybe sometimes they chase the cat. You're not really worried about them killing the cat or anything like that, but what would you, what would you say to listeners as far as like when you are not home? Like, what do you think that would be the safest setup as far as like, do you think that the dog should be crated? The cat could be loose, vice versa. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so even in certain dog-dog situations where there's a significant size or age difference, I recommend separating them when you're not home uh, because it doesn't have to be aggressively motivated, but uh, if a paw flies at the wrong speed, it can cause serious injury to a smaller animal, whether or not that was the intention of the behavior. So if if your dog is already crate trained and has, you know, nice, happy emotional responses to their crate, then having your dog crated while you're gone with the cat having free roam of the house is not a bad option. If you have a house where it's possible to put up barriers or closed doors and have each animal with their own area in the house while you're gone, I think that's also a good option. Ultimately, unless both animals have demonstrated extremely reliable behavior with each other over time, I probably wouldn't leave them alone together. Okay, so like... And obviously it it always depends, but like ballpark here, like if you have a household with a dog and you've integrated a cat, like how many months or longer than that, would you like to see reliable behavior between both of them before you would consider leaving them loose together? That is a really good question that I don't have a great (laughs) answer to. Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah. So a lot of it, I think is going to depend on, you know, the previous history of the dog. Um, So if we're talking about a new dog in the household, I would want to see was the dog fostered with cats and how has their interaction been with that? If the dog has really never shown any interest in chasing or hunting or catching small critters, I would maybe be a little more lenient on that. Yeah, no, and and I agree, you know, and it's so hard, right? Because obviously in this podcast, I want to give, you know, owners as much information (laughs) as we can, but there's so many intricacies and nuance between body language and 
history and learned behavior between both cats and dogs that I think that if you live in a household and you have a cat and a dog and you are not sure, consulting a professional trainer is definitely your best mode, right? Because they're going to be able to probably see things that you couldn't see, Mm -hmm. right? And give you more insights than um, I think maybe that you would anticipate. So do you do clients with cats and dogs or do you primarily work with dogs? Most of my work is with dogs, but I do really love the cat-dog cases. Um, I also teach a seasonal kitten kindergarten class, which is about as cute and hilarious as it sounds. Oh, my God. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> nice. Okay. So, um, so what can you give us some final thoughts? Like, what do you think should be, like, the, the most pressing matters when it comes to integrating cats and dogs? So I think we want to find a way to keep all of the animals involved feeling safe and happy and content. Um, So we have to make sure that we really understand behavior and body language for all the species in our household, not just the dog, not just the cat. Um, We want to make sure that we know how to recognize appropriate versus inappropriate interactions. So if we're seeing, you know, you have an established cat in the home and a new dog comes in and all of a sudden our cat is not eating very well and there's litter box failure and they're vocalizing a lot at night and they're spraying the carpet with things. It just, those are all signs to me that kitty is not tolerating that very well. Um, similarly, if we notice that our dog is experiencing different behaviors and is hypervigilant whenever kitty's around because he's afraid of getting nailed, <laughs> we want to make sure that we're not seeing those patterns. And I think it's important to know that we might not ever get the hallmark photo dog and cat cuddling in front of the fire and that's perfectly okay it's okay for them to have neutral interactions it doesn't have to be the viral youtube video of cat and dog wrestling together because that doesn't always happen sometimes it does and it's great when it does but that's not necessarily the norm so things we want to look for with those play interactions are lots of loose body language, lots of back and forth, lots of turn taking, not a lot of vocalizing or distress. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think, you know, there's a lot of beauty and peaceful coexistence. And that's not just cats and dogs, that's dogs and dogs and cats and cats. But I love that you brought that up, right? Because, you know, the cat and the dog don't have to play and snuggle, right? As long as they can both be happy, confident, and feel safe and loved in the environment, I think that that's really the sign that you've integrated well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Okay, so um, I want to just give you a chance. Um, I want you to shout out your your Instagram, both obviously your business, but um, guys, Olivia trains both her cats, and it, I love watching the videos. Okay, so if people <laughs> want to connect with you over on the social media, where can they find you? So the cat training account is Clicker Kittens, no space, just Clicker Kittens, all one word, um, and that is Right now, mostly Gigi and Jude doing whatever things. I'm on kind of a new husbandry kick with Gigi, so it's going to be a lot of nerdy stuff about cooperative care with cats. Um, awesome. We occasionally get foster kittens, and that's always a lot of fun because I am I always do a lot of harness training and target training with all the little baby kittens. Um, and then the dog training account is Click Start Dog Academy, all one word, and you'll see all of our different dog training stuff there. 
Yes, awesome. And guys, I'll include links to that, uh, all of that in the show notes. And if you have a cat and you have not been doing a lot of training, I highly suggest you follow the, the Clicker Kittens account because I think you'll get a lot of insight, inspiration, and some things that um, maybe you didn't even know were possible to train your cat before today. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co. You can also find us on Facebook at a good feeling dog training, as well as our website, agfdogtraining.com. dog